The Alan Watts iPhone app is now available on the iTunes App Store, featuring the entire Alan Watts podcast series at your fingertips. Visit alanwattsapp.com for more information. So therefore, hold yourself aloof. As in, for example, the advice of many Hindus in the practice of yoga, you are advised to look upon all sensory experiences as something out there, which you simply witness. You yourself identify yourself with the eternal, spiritual, unchanging self, the witness of all that goes on, but who is no more involved in it than, say, the smoothness or the color of a mirror is affected by the things which it reflects. Keep your mind like a mirror, pure and clean, free from dust, free from flaws, free from stain, and just reflect everything that goes on, but don't be attached. You will find this all over the place. But it has always seemed to me that that attitude of essential detachment from the physical universe has underlying it a very serious problem. The problem being why a physical universe at all in that case. If God has, uh, in, is in some way responsible for the existence of a creation. And if this creation is basically a snare, why did he do it? And of course, according to some theologies, the physical universe is looked upon as a mistake, as a fall from the divine state, as if something went wrong in the heavenly domain and causing spirits, such as we are, to fall from their high estate and to become involved with animal bodies. And so there is an ancient analogy of man which runs right through to the present time that your relationship to your body is that of a rider to a horse. St. Francis called his body brother ass that you are a rational soul in charge of an animal body. And therefore, if you belong to the old-fashioned school, you beat it into submission. As St. Paul said, I beat my body into submission. Or if you are a Freudian, you treat your horse not with a whip, but with lumps of sugar, kindly but still it's your horse. Even in Freud, there is a very, very strong element of Puritanism. Read Philip Reif's book on Freud, The Mind of the Moralist, and how he shows that Freud basically thought that sex was de degrading. But nevertheless, something biologically unavoidable, something terribly necessary, which couldn't just be swept aside. It had to be dealt with. 
But there is, you see, that heritage of thinking of ourselves as divided, the ego as the rational soul of spiritual origin, and the physical body as the animal component. And therefore, all success in life, spiritual success, requires the spiritualization of the animal component, the sublimation of its dirty and uh, strange urges, so that it's thoroughly cleaned up. I suppose the ideal sexual relationship of such persons would be held on an operating table under disinfectant sprays. <laughs> Now, it is, of course, true that the physical world, its beauty, and so on, is transient. We are all falling apart in some way or another, especially after you pass the peak of youth. But it's never struck me that that is something to gripe about that the physical world is transient seems to me to be part of its splendor. I can imagine nothing more awful than, say, attaining to the age of 30 and suddenly being frozen in that age for always and always. You would become a kind of... We would all be a sort of animated waxworks and you would discover, as a matter of fact, that people who had that physical permanence would feel like plastic. And that is, as a matter of fact, what is going to be done about us by technology in order to attain perpetual youth. All the parts of us that decay and, f and fold up are going to be replaced by very skillfully manufactured plastic parts. So that in the end, we will be entirely made of very, very sophisticated plastic. And everybody will feel like that. And everybody will be utterly bored with each other. Because the very fact you see that the world is always decaying and always falling away is the same thing as its vitality. Vitality is change. Life is death. It is always falling apart. And so there are certain supreme moments, you see, at which in the body we attain superb vitality. And that's the time. Make it then. That's the moment, just like when an orchestra is playing, the conductor wants to get a certain uh, group of, say, violins to come in at a certain moment, and he's conducting, and he's got to now make it. And they all have to go, right now, you see? Of course. That's the whole art of life. To do it at the right time. To do it in time, like you dance or you play in time. And so in the same way, when it comes to love, sexuality, or equally so, in all the pleasures of gastronomy, timing is of the essence. And then it's happened and you've had it. But that's 
not something that one should look upon with regret. It only is something regrettable if you didn't know how to take it when it was timely. And this is really the essence of what I want to talk to you about. Because you see, to be detached from the world in the sense that Buddhists and Taoists and Hindus will often talk about detachment does not mean to be non-participative. You can have a sexual life very rich and very full and yet all the time be detached. By that I don't mean that you just go through it mechanically and have your thoughts elsewhere. I mean a complete participation, but still detached. And the difference of the two attitudes is this. On the one hand, there is a way of being so anxious about physical pleasure, so afraid that you won't make it, that you grab it too hard. That you, you just have to have that thing. And if you do that, you destroy it completely. And therefore, after every attempt to get it, you feel disappointed. You feel empty, you feel something was lost. And therefore, you want it again. You have to keep repeating, 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 because you never really got there. And it's this that is the hang-up. This is what is meant by attachment to this world in an evil sense. But on the other hand, pleasure in its fullness cannot be experienced when one is grasping it. I knew a little girl to whom someone gave a bunny rabbit. She was so delighted with the bunny rabbit and so afraid of losing it that taking it home in the car, she squeezed it to death with love. And lots of parents do that to their children. And lots of spouses do it to each other. They hold on too hard. And so take the life out of this transient, beautifully fragile thing that life is. To have it, to have life, and to have its pleasure, you must at the same time let go of it. And then you can feel perfectly free to have that pleasure in the most gutsy, rollicking, earthy, lip-licking way. One's whole being taken over by a kind of undulative, convulsive uh, ripple which is like the very pulse of life itself. This can happen only if you let go. If you are willing to be abandoned. It's funny that word, abandon. We speak of people who are dissolute as being abandoned. But we can also use abandon as the characteristic of a saint. A great spiritual book by a Jesuit father is called Abandonment to the Divine Providence. There are people like that. 
who just aren't hung up. They are the poor in spirit. That is to say, they in spiritually are poor in the sense they don't cling on to any property. They don't carry burdens around. They're free. Well, just that sort of spiritual poverty, that let-go-ness, is quite essential for the enjoyment of any kind of pleasure at all, and particularly sexual pleasure. Listening to Alan Watts from the Spoken Word Library of the Electronic University. For copies of this and other Alan Watts programs, please go to alanwatts.com on the World Wide Web or call us toll free at 1 800 W O Watts. That's A L A N W A T T S.com or 1 800 W O W A T T S. The Watts website features free audio downloads, program lists, and information on Watts' life and works. Once again, that's alanwatts.com or 1-800-W-O-Watts.